Welcome to the Gateworld Podcast. Welcome to this week's episode of the Gateworld Podcast. You're listening to episode number 16, and today David and I are talking about Inquisition, last Friday's new episode of Stargate Atlantis. We'll also give you a preview of our upcoming interview with Stargate makeup artist Jan Newman. And of course, there's lots of Stargate news, features, and listener mail to get to. This podcast has been proclaimed Chelnot by the Jaffa High Council. The GateWorld Podcast starts right now. My name is Darren Sumner, and joining me again this week is GateWorld's own David Reed. Cree, how are you, sir? I'm doing pretty darn good. How are you? I am well. And Chalnot means what? Very cool. That's exactly right. Direct <laughs> translation. There's a direct translation in Jaffa or Gould or whatever it is for very cool. Yeah. I just thought that was funny. And what episode is that from? That's from uh, the Tok'ra Part 1. That's right. <laughs> right on. We've got some cool stuff to talk about this week. Shall we jump into it? Let's jump in. Stargate News. Here are your headlines from GateWorld for October 28, 2008. Fans can get an early peek at the look of Stargate Universe now at SciFi.com. The official site of the SciFi channel has published four pieces of concept art from The Destiny, the ancient long-range exploratory vessel which will serve as the setting for the new show. The shuttle bridge, a corridor, an airlock door, and an ancient console panel. The design has a bit of a dark feel with the appropriate look of advanced technology that has become worn and rusted with age. Check it out now at GateWorld and SciFi.com. Stargate Universe begins filming in February and will premiere in the U.S. next summer. Do you really think that it's appropriate that finally we're getting some ancient technology that is finally rusting? Because, I mean, Atlantis, there's no sign of rust on Atlantis, and it's millions of years old. Yeah, it's millions of years old, and um, what kind of blows my mind is the thought that the Destiny is actually supposed to be a lot older than Atlantis. Like, on the order of maybe millions of years older. Yeah, so now it's finally rusting. Yeah, <laughs> and I like I like the look. I mean, there's only so much you can gather from early concept art. They've, I mean, they haven't built it yet. Um but I, yeah. I like the fact that it doesn't look like Atlantis. It doesn't look sleek and angular and, and sort of bright. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you as far as that's concerned. But it, in terms of the design direction that they're going, uh, my jury is still out on whether or not I like it yet. So mm-hmm. we'll see. Mm-hmm. Some, something shouts to me uh, serenity. So we'll see. Well, that's not a bad feeling. GameZone.com has published a new interview with Stargate World Studio head Dan Elgren. In the interview, Elgren says that Cheyenne Mountain Entertainment is making sure that the massively multiplayer online role-playing game has a little something for everyone. He said that one playtester observed that the game plays like an MMO, but feels like a tactical shooter. For those who aren't as interested in running and gunning, the game will also include puzzle elements like identifying archaeological symbols, cracking an alien terminal, or negotiating with a new species. It's up to the player or group of players to decide how to handle the situation. Stargate Worlds is due to hit store shelves in early 2009. I'm really interested to see how this game plays because I'm, I'm a casual gamer for sure. I'm, I'm kind of a Nintendo fanboy. So I play the same games that I played growing up. I play the Mario games and the Zelda games, and I've never really gotten into PC games, and I've never really gotten into into shooter games. So if this game was just running and gunning and trying not to get shot, I I don't know how interested I'd be in it. So 
I like what I hear here so far. Well, l- let me share a, a brief anecdote. And um, this was when I was still on staff yep. uh, at Cheyenne. I was fighting a uh, drone, a floating robot, by myself. And I kept on getting my ass kicked. And I just couldn't fight him until my buddy Sam came in and started fighting with me. And we went down from one corridor to the next, to the next, to the next. And every few seconds or so, we came in contact with another drone. And we just blew them away. And it dawned on me, it finally clicked for me, mm-hmm. what they were trying to show us. The teamwork aspect of it, the working together. The, mm-hmm. the, uh, the It was just a small nugget of, I think, what will be revealed in a more broad sense when the game is finally out. But I couldn't do it on my own. The game is meant to be played with other people. Yes, that's exactly right. Well, I hope you'll play with me. I will play. Happy birthday to us. GateWorld.net celebrated its ninth birthday last Wednesday. It's hard to believe that it's already been nine years since the site went up on October 22nd, 1999. Our ninth year was a big one. We launched GateWorld Play, our daily video channel, which David keeps very busy at every week. We also launched the Stargate Image Gallery, and of course, this podcast is brand new this year. We have big plans for Year 10 at GateWorld, including our special coverage of the end of Atlantis' run and the debut of both Stargate Universe and Stargate Worlds. And of course, we'll continue to bring you the latest Stargate news, interviews, spoilers, analysis, all that good stuff each and every week. And we want to thank you for helping to make the site and this podcast what they are today. Check out GateWorld for more on our site's history and our birthday, and post a comment while you're there. I have no problem with birthday cake. Actually, I do. I don't like this stuff. But it seems like every time I turn around, we're celebrating a birthday, and I don't know why that is. I could have swore we just had a birthday. So, happy birthday again. Your birthday or GateWorld's birthday? GateWorld's birthday. I, every time I turn around, I, it seems like we're having another one. <laughs> yeah, there's about one a year, give or take. They go by fast for me. GateWorld Features. Our new interview with actor Colin Cunningham is now online at GateWorld. Colin plays Major Paul Davis on SG-1, including memorable episodes like Foothold, Descent, and Tangent. He talked with us about his new short film, Centigrade, which just became available on iTunes, as well as his years on SG-1. Head over to GateWorld.net now to watch the 22-minute video interview or read the transcript. I got to tell you, I just watched Centigrade a couple of days ago Mm -hmm. uh, for the first time, and I really enjoyed it. You got to see it. And for $1.99, it's not bad. I read the premise, and it sounds like a really cool idea, especially for a short film. I didn't realize that it was it was only 18 minutes long. Yeah, he's uh, getting ready to turn it into a feature-length film, but it's, it's very Hitchcockian in its quality, and the short version leaves a lot of unanswered questions. Hmm. So I'm, I'm looking forward to an extended cut, you know. Sounds cool. Of course, it's bittersweet to be drawing closer to the final episode of Stargate Atlantis, But Enemy at the Gate is airing in January, and now GateWorld has the very first photos from this upcoming episode. Familiar faces like Amanda Tapping and Colin Cunningham will return. Though the plot of this episode is still a mystery, watch out for a few minor spoilers when you check out the photos. Just head to the Stargate Image Gallery at StargateGallery.com to see 11 pictures from the series finale. And finally, coming to the website later this week is a very special interview with a true Stargate legend. Jan Newman served as makeup artist for 10 years on Stargate SG-1, plus the two films, Arc of Truth and Continuum. We caught up with her at GateCon 2008 and talked about a number of different subjects, including coming up with Chris Judge's tattoo in Children of the Gods and aging the team in episodes like Brief Candle and Unending. 
Here's a preview of the interview just for GateWorld podcast listeners. So you guys didn't mark tattoos. They were just little, like, you used the water and, and transferred to, them? Transferables? Well, what we, we would use um, a makeup that was put on with alcohol and a product called Silicolor so that it wouldn't sweat off. Uh-huh. And yeah, long days, yeah. And so in the early days, you know, we were always repairing the tattoos. But in later years, we came up with all these new products come out, came out, and we um, managed to get it down to quite a, quite a science. <laughs> Man. The tattoo that Tilk had. Yeah, his apophic symbol. Chulak. Mm-hmm. The women had those. Mm-hmm. Um, the children never did until, until the boys became mature. Mature. And then um, Tilk's son uh-huh. then had the tattoo. Then got it. Uh, so it was um, very interesting, I think, how the history of those tattoos came about because I think after about two seasons, we started moving into other realms with different tattoo designs from uh-huh. other universes. Yeah. All um, the different system lords had their own design, exactly, you know? Exactly, exactly. Good huh. system notes. That's right. <laughs> GateWorld's interview with Jan Newman will be online later this week. I know you've had a chance to meet Jan and talk with her a few times, but I met her when we went to the Continuum premiere in Vancouver this last spring, and she's just a sweet, nice lady. She is an absolute Australian delight, you know? she. I have met her at least five times. She always went to the GateCon, and for some reason she always recognized me year after year we would see her on set and Mm. and you know she she knew who i was and she's so modest you and i have been trying to get bridget at at the studio to get us an interview with her and bridget's always been like well jan's not big for interviews so i cornered her at gatecon and i said would you mind just taking five minutes with us and we talked for 27 Mm. you know she had so many neat things to say and I'm really looking forward to this one being released. She was with the show for 10 years, for, for I think just yep. about every single episode since Children of the Gods. And she even goes back to MacGyver with RDA. That's right. So yeah, this, this one's been a long time coming, and I'm, and I'm looking forward to it finally coming out. Yeah, that's great. I'm excited to see it. The main discussion. Our main discussion topic today is Inquisition. The 13th episode of Stargate Atlantis's fifth season. So this was a clip show, and it's only in five years the only the second Atlantis clip show we've seen after Letters from Pegasus in season one. Which was barely a, a clip show. It had so many visual effects in that one. It's been so long since I've seen Letters from Pegasus. You were telling me that that one, as far as the amount of the episode that the clips made up, was, what did you say, like 5 or 10% probably? 5 or 10%, no more than 10 I don't consider it a clip show at all. Shepard and Taylor went to watch the Wraith fleet arrive and uh, call a planet their mm-hmm. last pit stop before hitting the Lantean system. And there was a ton of visual effects in it. Mm-hmm. So it really didn't feel like a clip show at all. The clip show was either its B or C plot. Yeah. Inquisition is more of a traditional clip show, I think. It's, it's much more heavy on clips. There's kind of more of a traditional framework for the characters talking about what's happened to them in the past. But again, I gotta say, I've watched other shows that do clip shows. I grew up watching Family Ties do clip shows where it's literally just the family is sitting on a couch saying, remember when? Uh, And Stargate does clip shows so well. It has from the very beginning when Senator Kinsey arrived to debrief the team in politics in the first season of SG-1. They do clip shows so great, and the, the clip shows 
not only have an interesting story that that provides a structure and a context for all the clips, but that story ends up being a pretty significant part of the Stargate mythology. And that's I, I think there's right. there's no difference here. Inquisition is an important episode in establishing what's going on in the Pegasus Galaxy and maybe what the Janai are trying to do behind the scenes and what our role is with these people who we've been trying to defend for four and a half years. It, uh, to me, was an episode that had to be told at some point. Yeah. Because you hear, and to be frank, I'm surprised it was only two million people, but you hear about all these atrocities after we have made a knee-jerk decision to wake up the Wraith, which, is, which was unintentional, or one that was intentional was to activate the replicator's kill Wraith program. Mm-hmm. You know, that was dangerous. One of the things that Stargate does very well is show us the consequences of our actions. So it was only a matter of time before the Pegasus Galaxy got together and pointed a finger at us. Yeah, yeah. That's been a running theme throughout... I think the 12-year history of Stargate on television is this theme of we go out there, we fight bad guys, we do our very best, but we screw things up sometimes. And yeah, I agree. This is this is the sort of episode that really needed to be told. There appears to be a pattern with clip shows in Stargate. I'm not saying whether they're good or they're bad, but it seems like almost every time there's a clip show, it's our team on trial. Do you notice that? Our team They're defending trial. themselves. In politics, they were defending themselves. In, in inauguration, they were defending themselves. While, well, Wolsey was pointing the finger at them. And here in Inquis- Inquisition, hmm. they're defending themselves again. Yeah, you're right. Not, not to mention um, Disclosure. Disclosure, yeah. teams defending themselves against Hammond the international and Davis. people. I wonder why that is. It's just occurred to me. Yeah, I think that's right. It's, it's kind of an, an obvious way for us to tell the history of what our team has done is that we have to explain it to somebody who's not entirely happy with it. Which I guess is a better way than Billy and Cindy and Uncle Bobby sitting around a campfire and saying, remember when? Yeah, yeah. Daniel comes to Atlantis and uh, Rodney and Shepard and Taylor and Ronan sit around the lounge area and tell Daniel what they've been up to. (laughs) That wouldn't make for a very interesting story. Oh, that would have been awful. Well, there's a new coalition of planets in the Pegasus galaxy who now that we've started to beat back the Wraith a little bit, finally have a chance to breathe and, and are getting together. What do you think of this development for the show's overall mythology? It's definitely one that I wasn't expecting, which I kind of think is stupid because... Really? Yeah, I, I wasn't really expecting that because there was never a coalition in the Milky Way galaxy, you know, where the planets got together and started fending for themselves. You know, we had the Jaffa who were naturally drawn to one another as, as a society because of their enslavement. So I guess it's kind of natural that uh, humans enslaved to a, to a vampiric life-sucking species in the Pegasus galaxy would eventually begin to come together and uh, consider their options while the Wraith were busy uh, knocking one another off. Mm-hmm. So it's a very natural progression as far as I'm concerned. And also, it's, I think it's extremely natural that uh, they would uh, entrap Atlantis's flagship unit and put them on trial. Mm-hmm. Because I do think that Atlantis has a great deal to answer for. I sympathize heavily with Shiana. I think that she's right on a lot of fronts. Mm-hmm. I think this coalition idea was a really great idea. And I agree, it, it feels natural. And one of my beefs with Atlantis over the years has been that we haven't we haven't really gotten to meet 
the inhabitants of the Pegasus galaxy a whole lot. At the beginning, there was a lot of hope that, that the Athosians were going to play a fairly large role in the show, and then after episode five, they, they largely vanished. Um, so we haven't really gotten to meet the people of the Pegasus galaxy and see what their needs are on the ground, what their, what their issues are what they're fighting against other than other than the Wraith. We're, we are fighting their enemy, but we're not really, other than Taylor's presence on the team, we're not fighting with them. We're just sort of out there fighting on their behalf, and we never see them. So I love the fact that we're now getting, getting names and faces associated with, you know, we don't have just generic planets scattered throughout the Pegasus galaxy, you know, generic village number 14. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think that there's a lot alluded to that we don't see. Mm-hmm. on Atlantis. Atlantis is particularly good about that, for better or for worse, where Kalora is talking about us having trading partners. So Atlantis does do business in the Pegasus galaxy, mm-hmm. and we know that Jennifer Keller has gone off to Planet X to help out the indigenous population. There is business going on, it's just we, the audience, are not, are not always privy to it. So it's nice. Again, I, go, I completely agree with you. It's nice to put some, some uh, faces and planet names on this, uh, on this galaxy. Yeah, you make a great point about Shiana. I thought that that the actress who played Shiana really, she didn't have a whole lot to do, but when when she got that monologue, she stole the scene. Karen DeZilva, she she killed that episode. What That's a right. Fantastic role that was, and what a fantastic delivery of of that little monologue of what has happened to her planet. Yeah. She did a great job. Yeah, you could feel that emotion. You could see it on her face. She did that extremely well. We know for certain of six human worlds that were destroyed by the replicators. But we also know of at least a dozen hive ships that were destroyed. Hive ships that would almost certainly have culled within a year. One could make the argument that on balance, more lives were saved than were lost. On balance? Is that what we are to you? Figures on a ledger? Pieces that can be moved about in a game of strategy, some to be saved while others are sacrificed? I'm sorry, I certainly didn't mean to Real diminish, people but... are being killed, Mr. Woolsey. Real villages destroyed. My village, my people. My husband and children murdered before my eyes. You're from one of the planets destroyed by the replicators. I barely escaped with my life, but not before I saw everything I hold dear get wiped out by a beam of light from the sky and I will not rest until someone is made to pay for it and the coalition has a point I mean we woke up the wraith and it wasn't on purpose and some of the other things we've done we've we've made unilateral decisions I mean how can you ask how can you go to a hundred villages and say hey can you send a representative to help us make decisions about your fate i mean yeah let's uh, let us all vote and you know in a month we'll have uh, a decision yeah but they they do have a point atlantis really has to continue to ask itself is the pegasus galaxy worse off for us having come here mm. well i think they need to ask themselves is it better off by them coming there even more importantly mm-hmm. so the one thing that i will say about shiana's scene shiana's diatribe against Woolsey and Atlantis is that that would have had a lot more weight if we had seen those sorts of things happen in the past. Um, I mean, it was it was cool to see the Wraith invading a village and to get to know some of those villagers in Outsiders last week. But, but otherwise, the trials and the tribulations of the Pegasus Galaxy have gone largely 
unseen. It's it's been stuff that's been left to expositional dialogue to drive mm-hmm. a plot line. We're sitting in the Atlantis conference room, and and somebody says, "Oh, I've discovered a virus out there, and uh, we just found out that a hundred thousand people are dying, and uh, we just found out that the replicators are destroying whole worlds." And you know, we never saw the team interacting with those people, and we never saw, yeah. we never met somebody, and then saw them get annihilated, and, and yeah. have our team, you know, rush through the gate at the last second, and and recognize that they brought the replicators there. Right. Yeah. You want to go play golf on the pier? Yeah. So I think it would have had a lot more weight if if we would have seen some of those things happen and not just have it have it left to exposition. And the times that we have seen it happen, it's just a winner. You know, um, one of my the spookiest ones, in my opinion, is Satita when we see uh, an adult mm-hmm. wraith warrior sucking the life out of a little girl, and uh, for all in- intents and purposes, just raping her. That was a creepy image, man. Mm, I don't remember that. I must have blocked it from my mind. Well, this is obviously a big episode for Richard Woolsey. His chance to come out and shine and be be the lawyer, be the hero. Did you like Woolsey in this? I did. This is one of the very full circle elements of this, you know, aside from the fact that it was a clip show, you know, it tied heavily into inauguration and uh, heroes part two, where we have this bureaucrat who is doing his his duty by passing judgment on an organization. And now here he is coming in and defending the organization. Mm hmm. So I thought that was very appropriate. And next week, Shen Xiaoyi is going to come in and take him down a couple of notches, which is going to be like the part two of this element. Mm-hmm. From the IOA. Yeah, this is the episode that, that I've been looking forward to where Woolsey, I mean, you can't really stick a gun in Woolsey's hands and, and have him be the hero that way, have, have a lot of character development that way by having him accompany the team somewhere, uh, like Weir got to do from time to time. But Woolsey was, was a lawyer. He was Harvard trained New York City lawyer, as he as he says. Um, so this is the perfect sort of context for us to get to know more about who he is. Yeah, he wields his power through words. Yeah. That scene where Myris comes to Atlantis and basically lays out the coalition's case and says, You guys have been making unilateral decisions affecting the entire Pegasus galaxy without restraint and without any oversight. That hits Woolsey exactly where he lives. He's the guy who's who's said that I've dedicated my life to the importance of civilian oversight of what the military is doing. I loved his response to that, but I wish that we would have seen it more. I wish that maybe he would have, to the side, maybe confided in somebody like Shepard about the fact that, that he has found himself on the receiving end of that argument. I, I wish I could. I wish I could comment here, but uh, I was largely disappointed in the episode. <laughs> really? Yeah. I saw very little in terms of uh, previews. I saw a photo gallery for the episode, which showed Shepard and Woolsey on the stand, mm-hmm. and I assumed that since they captured the entire team, they were going to try the entire team. I was mm-hmm. hoping that every one of them would have had a chance to take the stand. Mm-hmm. I was looking forward particularly to. Uh, Ronan Dex and Taylor's comments. Taylor, absolutely. They are off-worlders, and they are outsiders who has come to join this team, and they have a particularly tender perspective. Yeah, Taylor's people were captured and tortured by Michael, and Ronan's people were completely wiped out by the Wraith. I, I don't understand why we didn't get to see them on the stand trying to defend what Atlantis has been doing. It was not what I was expecting in that regard. 
And I think that was compounded with the fact that there was no other shoe falling in this episode. It seemed to me like someone like Shiana would not allow them to go free and just play by the rules and say, okay, so the other two voted not guilty, so I guess I'll let them go, you know, and I'll just, I'll just put a lid on all of this fuming hatred that I have. You know, mm-hmm. I would probably take a gun and go shoot them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just very by the book, by the numbers. Kalora was working with the Janai, so Wolseley gives them a proposition, and wha-bam, they're free. You know, and I was, I was hoping for the other shoe to drop, and it never did. And it was like, okay, that was a nice episode. I'll see it in a few years. You know, yeah. that's how I really felt about this episode. It was just, it left me wanting a lot. I was very, I was, I admit, I was very critical and skeptical of it going in. And I had every reason to be. It just did not, it did not lift itself from where I had, I had placed the bar. You know, I read a lot of casting sides for this one because they had so many prominent guest stars to cast. We ended up seeing a lot of pages from the script in, in the spoiler when we were doing spoilers several months ago. So I had read a lot of this episode. And I guess because of that, I I came into it with that expectation that it was what it was. And it was just A to B to C. And there was no other shoe that was going to drop. But that's a great idea. How cool would it have been if Shiana would have come into the cell after the not guilty verdict had been rendered and raised her gun and, and had been yeah. just absolutely in tears and then had somebody yeah. like Shepard or Woolsey or one of the other council members have to basically talk her out of shooting everybody. Or someone else had to shoot her in the process. You know, they, there was just none of that. And I said to myself, you know, this, this is a woman whose life has been changed by this team, directly or indirectly. You know, if I was in her position, I would not walk away from that. I would rather die, and we never saw anything of that. Yeah, that's it was true. Just, it was just like, huh, what's missing here, you know? <laughs> yeah, but I did notice that McKay and Taylor and Ronan were missing, and it was kind of weird because the way that the episode was structured was we're talking about the, the Wraith being woken up now, and then there's a break. We go back to the cell, and then Shepard comes back, and here we're talking about um, you know, we've blown up some hive ships and then there's a break and then we come back and we talk about Michael and then there's a break. And I think there's, I counted three or four specifically for Shepard. It doesn't really make any sense to me why all of those would be Shepard and why you wouldn't have each team member come in and take a turn at defending. Well, you know, that's one of the things that I was thinking that we'd see, you know, even if they have four points while they're doing the clips, we can cut back to the trial and have it be a different team member fielding that specific accusation. Mm, and just intercut them. Yes, so that we, so as if the team all had a chance to speak, you know, and we were just switching from one to the other. That's one of those neat things about about a lot of those trial scenes. You know, one of the things that they did in Heroes too was it would go from Daniel to Woolsey to Teal to Woolsey to to Carter. And it was all in the same scene, but it was different team members from fielding the same question or weaving from one topic to the other. And I I, I like that. I was looking forward to that, and it just wasn't in this episode. Overall, I have to say that a clip show like this is exactly what Atlantis needed before it ended this year. It's kind of funny to say that because we hear clip show and fans tend to roll our eyes and say, well, they they overspent their budget and so we're getting a filler. But again, Stargate does clip shows well. Um, and what I liked about this was Atlantis is ending in seven episodes and this reminds us of the scope 
of what the show has been. It reminds us of what the major story arcs were and what we have done and what we have accomplished in Pegasus. Mm -hmm. I agree. No matter how it was, this episode was executed, I think this, again, this was a story that had to be told. These specific points, in my opinion, had to be addressed. And it would have, fans would have been left, especially those that either have not seen the episodes or have not watched or are not like huge fans of the show or haven't haven't seen the episodes in a while would have been thinking okay did i see that now now which episode was that in and what happened while the dialogue was going on so Mm -hmm. it was good to be able to see some of this see actually what built the circumstances which drew us to where we are you know that was well achieved yeah my my only other criticism was that i guess this is kind of a twofold criticism again the team wasn't there for the judgment for yeah for, for hearing the votes from the council members it was just Woolsey and everybody else was twiddling their thumbs in, in the cell. And the other thing is is it kind of felt off to me to leave Kalor to cast the deciding vote. That was kind of less tense for me. I know that Woolsey had had, had a scene where he approaches him about the Janai. Um, and so we're not quite sure how Kalor is going to respond to that offer. But I, I felt that Demas, the, the yeah. older council member in the middle, was a much bigger question mark. He was the one who could yeah. be swayed by reason. So are our arguments going to sway him? I would have preferred if he was the deciding vote. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I, I think it would have been uh, much more uh, interesting to have it from his perspective, you know. But overall, you know, a good, a good clip show. Atlantis does it well. It adds a nice little extra bit of texture to the Pegasus galaxy before the show comes to a conclusion. I'd give it a, mm-hmm. a nice 7 out of 10. What about you? Because the episode raised the points that I've been arguing about for a great deal of time, I would give it more points than I wouldn't have. But in terms of how it was executed, I wasn't particularly overjoyed with it. I'm going to have to give it a 6 out of 10. Hmm. And Alex Levine is on my Facebook, and I know I'm going to get an earful from him about it. But <laughs> Alex Levine uh, works in the production office, and this was his first chance to write a script. And, you know, for for what he was given, clip shows can't be easy to write. I thought he, I thought he did a great job as... Uh, our, our criticisms and critiques notwithstanding. Yes, I agree. Listener mail. Well, here's our listener mail for this week, of course. Inquisition airing as a clip show. We wanted to know what you guys think of clip shows. SG-1 has done, let's see, Politics in Season 1, um, Out of Mind in Season 2, Disclosure was in Season 6, Inauguration Season 7, and then in Season 8 we saw Citizen Joe. Atlantis has done Letters from Pegasus and Inquisition. So, we asked you, what's your favorite clip show and what made it good? Jedi Master Braytac answers, My all-time favorite clip show has to be Politics. I loved it because it was part of an amazing four-story arc that started with There Before the Grace of God and ended with The Serpent Slayer. I also love the conflict between Kinsey and the other characters, especially the barbarians at the gate scene. Ungoulded Unas says... What a great name. My favorite Stargate clip show was most definitely Citizen Joe. The reason I liked it was that it was so unique. Most of the other clip shows have been characters sitting around and talking about things that happened in the past. But Citizen Joe shows a brand new character reacting to things as they happened on the show in much the same way that we as the audience reacted to them. We could sympathize with Joe and his reactions. 
Yeah, I have a very special place in my heart for Citizen Joe. I looked at Joe Spencer as myself, mm. as a fan, and uh, thought it was really amusing. You know, I didn't like it that much when it first aired, and I've, I need to go back and rewatch it. Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> Cassius says, The best Stargate clip show is, in my humble opinion, easily Atlantis's first foray into clip shows with letters from Pegasus. It had strong story with a reason why our stars are talking about the past. The discovery of the ability to send info back and include messages. It also had a B story with Taylor and Shepard stuck in a calling, and even Shepard's message to Sumner's family. Finally, Gelgate says, especially after watching and enjoying season 5 of Atlantis, I would have to cast my vote for inauguration. Woolsey goes from a pain in the micta in Heroes to an Honest Man in Inauguration. It shows him in a new light that audience members can relate to. We all know people who come off as a bad person but are only trying to do the right thing. Politics was one of the first episodes of Stargate that I ever saw, so uh, I really like the dynamic in that. But I think my favorite is is got to be Inauguration, because I liked that turn in Woolsey's character. I liked how straight up and and real and interesting of a character president hayes was yeah there were some important aspects of that show i mean it couldn't just be passed over as a clip show you had to watch it because it filled in a lot of gaps for what was about to happen in lost city and what ultimately became of Woolsey's character Mm -hmm. and we have one piece from the listener mailbag Hi, my name is Maya Clark, and I'm calling from Mesa, Arizona. I just wanted to say that I really enjoy Stargate Atlantis, and I really enjoy Gate World. And I'll try and call back when I finally get to watch the episode on um, Amazon. (laughs) Thanks to Maya for calling that in. Here's this week's listener question. It's natural for a show to write out characters and sometimes even kill them off. And Stargate SG-1 and Atlantis have certainly lost their share of beloved characters over the years. Which character do you still mourn the loss of? Not necessarily because you were just sad to see them go, but because you think they left too soon. In next week's podcast, there's no new episode of Atlantis airing on Halloween, so we'll be talking about those characters that we think we lost too soon. On November 11th, we're talking about episode 14, The Prodigal, and on November 18th, it's Remnants. A lot of exciting episodes coming up. Yep, we're counting down. There's seven left. And if you live in the United States and over 18 years of age, uh, this is David, not GateWorld, promoting this. But if, uh, if you do, I hope that you go out and vote. Ah, yes. Early and often, as we say in Chicago. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. We want to hear from you. Tell us uh, your answer to this week's listener question or anything that's on your mind about Stargate. Just call the GateWorld podcast hotline at 616-712-1647. Or head over to GateWorld Forum and post on the podcast feedback thread. In this week's episode, we talked about Inquisition, last week's episode of Stargate Atlantis, and we gave you a preview of this week's upcoming interview with Jan Newman. For links to everything we talked about today, head to GateWorld and look for the episode number 16 show notes. From GateWorld.net, this is Darren Sumner. Miyamo S. David Reed. And you've been listening to the GateWorld Podcast. (laughs) 